0: Good afternoon, everyone, and once again, welcome to Restore 10. It's been an awesome week. I've enjoyed sharing these commandments with you, and it's been refreshing and reviving to myself as I go over them again and share. And each time I do this, I learn something myself about God's character and what He desires to change in my life and I I find another precious promise that I grab a hold of, and I I apply that in my heart, and I ask the Lord, yes, make that come live in my life. And he's been working, and he's still not done with me. You can talk to my wife. She'll tell you he's still working on me. But the thing is, is God's not giving up. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to give up on me. And so, As we've looked at the first four commandments, we've learned about God's desire to restore faithfulness in our life and and what that would look like in in the daily life. We talked about God restoring holiness in our life and how he demonstrated that and what that looks like as we're fulfilling that very attribute Um, through the power of his Spirit, of course, because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to do this work in us As he had promised in Ezekiel 36, 25, 26, 27, talking about not only will he take away that stony heart, but give us that heart of flesh. And along with that, he said, I'll put my spirit in you so that you can do those things, basically pleasing in my sight. I'm kind of paraphrasing there, but it's a beautiful promise. You you take that home. You can can count on God fulfilling that as we yield ourselves into his hands. Uh, The third commandment, we talked about Christian integrity. And this is such a, a broad topic, uh, just a little bit of time we have here to talk about it was not sufficient. But I can assure you, friends, that as you read through the scriptures and you study integrity and the principles of integrity, this is what God longs to restore in our life. And yesterday we talked about the fourth commandment, allegiance and commitment to God fully and completely, being all in, not just the Christian professing to be a Christian, but a Christian at heart, and that's revealed in how we keep the Sabbath day. It's, it's not only just showing up when you, we feel like it or when we crawl out of bed for church, but it's being intentional and being here for the whole service, Sabbath school, the other Sabbath school part, the service itself, hanging around and fellowshipping and then asking God how to utilize the Sabbath day to bless others as well as get a little bit of rest ourselves. It is true that it is in ministering to other people we find true rest and peace. Today, we're going to talk about the fifth commandment and what that will look like in the life and how that affects not just us youth, but I'm not just going to be talking to youth, but I'm going to be talking to parents because the f- fact of the matter is is we're all children. All of us have parents. And so as we talked about the importance of understanding God's law I'm going to read this quote again coming from Great Controversy 465. It says, The nature and the importance of the law have been, to a great extent, lost sight of. We see that in a Christian world today. A wrong conception of the character and perpetuity, the obligation of the divine law, has led to errors in relation to conversion and sanctification and has resulted in lowering the standard of piety in the church. This is... Exactly what's happening throughout Christendom in our world because people are not looking at the law of God through the correct lenses. And so I I assure you that the greatest burden of God's heart is to restore his likeness in each and every one of us. Now think about this for a minute. As a parent, all all of those out there as parents, and you have children, you, you, and they go wayward, you know, they're, they're going down the wrong path, what's the burden of your heart? Is it not so that they, they'll come back home? Is it not that they would be restored from addiction and, and, and wrongful living and immorality or broken habits and dysfunctionality? Of course that's the burden of your heart. How much more God, when he looks at his creation, and he, he knows what we were created to be like, and he sees where, where we are today, how much more does He not want to restore us to His likeness and His image? So it is clear to me that's, that's God's desire, nobility and dignity in the life He wants to bring back. So today's title, Promise Seekers. Promise Seekers, restoring authority in a dysfunctional world. I'd invite you to kneel with me or bow your head if you'd like, and, and let's pray and invite God's Spirit to move mightily. In our behalf. Loving Father, we thank you for the joy of salvation. We thank you that you are so good. You do not leave us alone, Lord. You continue to pursue us. And as we've taken this journey this week on the five first five commandments, you have blessed the Lord. You have opened our eyes. You have so, shown us beautiful things out of your law that, that come from your heart. And this, this afternoon, Father, I'm asking that you'll again pour out your Spirit. Lord, take me and, and make me a vessel in your hand and, and speak, Lord. Hide me behind a cross. I don't want to be heard or seen. But from your, your word and inspiration and from the stories and experiences, may lives be touched, transformed, and restored into your likeness and image. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name, and I thank you, Lord, for hearing me. For you promised if I, I commit my work unto you, you'd establish my thoughts. May it be so today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus' authority was challenged he tells this story about the fig tree they challenge his authority and he comes back at them with a few questions in regards to John the Baptist they don't know what to say they choose to be silent and then he tells a parable he says but what think ye starting with verse 28 Matthew 21 starting in verse 28 what think ye a certain man had two sons and he came to the first and said son Go to work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. That sounds typical of our children today. When we ask them to do something, I'm not doing it. But it says that he repented. Afterward, he repented and went. He was receptive to the Spirit of God moving on his heart, and he realized that he disrespected his father. He dishonored his father in behaving that way and telling him, "I will not." And it came to the se- and he came to the second and said, likewise, and he answered and said, "I'll go." But he went not. You see, here's, here's one son that gives lip service, but his heart is not there to really honor his father. And so God has given us the commandment today. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. It's the first commandment with promise, Paul would write. And we'll discover that promise later on as we go. But when you hear the word honor, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? What other words come to your mind? Perhaps esteem, recognition, respect, perhaps integrity. The word honor means to have high regard or respect, adherence to principles considered right, and integrity. Now, we all know that the opposite of honor would be dishonor. God himself is honorable. And when you read through the Gospels about the life of Christ, no doubt it was the burden of his heart to constantly honor his father. No matter what happened to him, he wanted others to know that he was living for his father's will. And he would carry that out even at the cost of his life because he knew that was for the best of humanity. And that's what God the Father and him agreed upon. That's what he come to do. As parents, we need to teach our children very at a very young age about living right for God. Young people, little kids, if any little kids are watching me out there today, you need to learn how to work at home. We need to help around the house. We need to make use of our time wisely and be effective workers in the house. In doing so, we honor our parents. When I was 12 years old, I had my first job, all right? as I, I shared early in an in a interview with uh, Vicki Griffin, I grew up in Buffalo, New York in the ghetto. I lived, in, It is very cold there in wintertime, so my first job was a paper boy, and my sister would help me. Now, I was 12. She was 11, and we would go down, and we'd pick up the newspapers. We had about 100 customers, so our biggest day was the Sunday newspaper. It was thick, so we had my, my parents got us a wagon and we'd build up some sides and we'd pack that thing up and we'd drag it through the snow in wintertime and around the blocks in the summertime we'd deliver those papers. And we were taught at a very young age how to work and earn money and be responsible financially. And, and I loved it. I was so happy when I was a child that I could help and do things. Now, it started before then. Because when I was seven years old, my parents would teach, my mother would teach me how and my sister how to clean up around the house. How to clean up our rooms, how to vacuum, how to do dishes. And if we didn't do it right, we had to do it again. My my stepdad was very adamant about the dishes being clean. And at any time he would come and inspect him. He was a very good inspector. You know, we'd wash the dishes, and he would come and he would look, and if he found one dirty dish, you didn't just clean that dish, you did them all over again because he was sure that there's probably another dirty dish. So once he found one, you're doing it all over again. So young people, we need to learn how to work diligently at home and do things with excellence, strive for excellence. But the parents... Are, in a, are greatly responsible for training their children to do these things. Now, as a parent, if you fail to train your children to work hard and be efficient at home, you actually dishonor your parents because you did not chain, train their grandparents to be effective. I mean, you did not train your, their grandchildren to be effective workers at home. This quote comes from youth instructor It says, if you are truly converted, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is it. If you are truly converted, if you, if you are children of Jesus, you will honor your parents and you will not only do what they tell you, but you will watch for opportunities to help them. In doing this, you are working for Jesus He considers all these caretaking, thoughtful deeds as done to himself. This is the most important kind of missionary work, and those who are faithful in these little everyday duties are gaining a valuable experience. And so as we teach our youth be faithful in those little things, and be watching out where they can help, we are training them to be missionaries in the home and so as we as we guide them over to clean their their bedroom after they get all their toys out and they play with everything we help them understand the importance of tidiness and cleaning things up but i would go one step further train your children to play with one thing at a time why am i saying that because you're training them to focus on one thing, and 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 it's forming and shaping their brain to persevere in focus. Because when you allow your child to get a multitude of toys out and play with them all at one time or different things, they're they're distracted. They they form a habit of jumping from here to here to here, and you'll find out that when they start school and the educational part of their life, they won't be able to focus and retain and comprehend because their mind has been trained and been allowed to jump around on different things. And so parents, this is really important because the enemy is seeking to to distract our children in a variety of ways and it makes it much easier for that to happen when we don't train our children to just focus on one thing here and then over here. Rather it's playing or cleaning or whatever it may be around the home. So that's very important for us to do. So children, the greatest way you can honor your parents, hey, watch out for what you can do at home and and help around the house. And parents, help give them that instruction. Because I tell you what, if you fail here as parents, if we fail here, what happens is when that child gets to be in their early teens, um, they they don't know how to work. I've I've come in contact with youth and been on job sites, and you're you're working, they can see you're struggling to pick something up, and you're, you know, and they're just looking at you like, hmm, I wonder if he's gonna get it. <laughs> you know, come on. Go over and help them. Well, the reason why they're not actively going over and helping you because they weren't trained at home to do that. And so it's important that we train our children to be watchful. Hey, if you see something that needs to be picked up, you've walked by a piece of trash, pick it up. If you see something that's out of order in home and you know it's supposed to be in order, do it, fix it. Don't, don't look at it like, that was my sister's job. No, just do it. Get it done. And it makes a big difference because when they go out in the work world, their work ethic will be much more improved. However, if you don't take the time to do that, it will be disastrous. You know, my mom always made sure that we did everything right. And because we were poor, we didn't have a lot of things to play with at one time, so we got to focus on the little bit that we did have. But in our duties at home, they trained us to work hard, and make sure it was done thoroughly. I didn't like having to do the dishes over and over again. And so, truly converted, that's the key. We must teach our youth not only the importance of being faithful in little things, but to be observers in what else they can do at home or out in the community. This is why it's good for us as parents to take our children out into the community and teach them to be doers of good. Go over to your neighbor. There's elderly people around us. There's people that are are that are just disabled or not able to do certain things that they would love to do out in their yards. You can train your children the importance of going over and helping people that are in need. Of course, in our local community here and maybe in your community where you live at, you have a, a, a Dorcas or a, what we call here, a neighbor-to-neighbor, a community center. You can take your children there and Teach him what it means to work for those that are in poor, work for those that are in need. I would take my son, and we would go down to the homeless shelter, and we'd feed the homeless. We'd go out, and we'd do different things to help other people. And it made a difference in his life. He understood the importance of helping those that are underprivileged, helping those that are, cannot help themselves. And so day by day, if we're not applying these things uh, in our life and with our children it will have a tremendous impact on their lives. Colossians 3:20 tells us children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. I want to talk about this for a minute. As parents, if we don't teach our children to be obedient, oh my, we're bringing a great disaster upon our society. We should train our children at home how to sit still and be quiet. There's nothing wrong with training our child to sit there and be quiet so that when they come to church or when they come over to somebody's house, you take them somewhere, they're disciplined and they're well-behaved. They're not squirming around. They're not jumping around. They're not running around like they're unruly. But they've been disciplined at home, and that will show out in public but they can only obey if proper discipline is put in place. This here comes from Christ object lessons. I'm talking about the work that I'm speaking about and teaching our children to do things. Parents cannot commit a greater sin than to allow their children to have nothing to do. To have what? Nothing to do. That's a great sin. The children soon learn to love idleness and they grow up shiftless, useless men and women. And when they are old enough to earn their living and find employment, they work in a lazy, drowning way. They expect to be paid as much as if they were faithful. This is a worldwide difference between this class of workers and those who realize that they must be faithful stewards. So my parents were teaching me, they, were, they, were, you know, they weren't the greatest parents. But one thing I do admire about my mother, or before she had passed, I always told her, I was thankful that she taught me to work hard and strive to be on time. And that work hard principle stuck with me throughout my life. Doing it right, striving for excellence, doing my best, and when I failed, just get up and do it and try it again and, and seek for perfection. And what I did, don't get all bent out of shape if you just didn't get it right. Don't be an over-perfectionist, but strive for that excellence. And so it's, if, if I don't know what it is, but because this has not been followed in our daily homes throughout the Christian world and throughout the world, we have a generation of youth that think they are entitled I call it the entitlement generation. I told my son when he was 12, he was going to start working. And I was involved in construction. And so every summer, I put him to work. And he worked with me all summer long. And the first thing he, I taught him to do was sweep the floor. And he'd get mad at me. Dad, this is all I get to do is sweep the floor. I said, yeah, when you do that right, I'll give you something else to do. You know, conquer that. Get that down. And then I would train him to do something else. And he learned, you know what? He worked for this wage. Yep, you're not getting, oh, I'm not going to give you that wage. You're not going to get $15 an hour for sweeping the floor. No, you're going to start out at $8 an hour, just like I did. And so he learned that as the, the, more, the better he did things, the harder he worked. It was entitled in him to a little more money. I've come across people in, work in the construction site that come from homes where this principle wasn't applied, and they show up, and they barely want to work, but they expect you to pay them for the full day, and they want the best pay. They kind of look at you funny when you tell them you're only starting them out at base rate. They're enti- they feel they're entitled. I told my son when he said, Dad, are you going to pay for my college? I said, no, I'm not going to pay for your college. I said, you're not entitled to that. I said, don't think you are. I said, you know what? I'm going to help you out. Your parents are going to pay for two years of your college. You're going to do five. You're going to pay for three. Because I want you to understand the responsibility of education and, and working hard. I think we do our children a great dist, distrust or dist, uh, disservice. Thank you. I was going to think of the word when we just do it all for them. We make their bed for them. We clean their room for them. We wash their dishes for them. And then as they get into the teenage years, we're doing everything else for them. And you know what? Sometimes parents have to work two jobs, and I think they, they may feel a little guilty, and so there's this overcompensation, and, and like you don't want them to do anything. You want them to know you love them so much. You will do everything for them because you can't spend as much time with them. Well, you're destroying their lives when you do that. And so, teaching them to work at a very young age, making them be committed to it and seeing it through until it's done and done right, it's extremely important. And young people, you cannot honor your parents in any greater way than being an efficient worker at home, in the classroom, and in the community. And then when you start your time of employment you'll find yourself enjoying doing things with excellence and not half-heartedly expecting to get full pay for it. My son recently told me that his company, all the people in his company, he's a computer engineer, he said uh, they're doing some layoffs and they're letting people go. And the first thing they're going to look at is how many of their salary workers are only putting in 40 hours. They're not looking at how hard you work. They're looking at how many people are doing as little as possible time-wise for the company. That's how they're determining who's getting cut first. I told them, I said, son, that's great. You're You're going to get a salary. You're only required to work 40 hours. But I can assure you they're going to expect more than that, and they're going to be looking for it. In pastoral ministry, it's the same way. When I went in for an interview with my, in the conference, you know, they said, "You know what? This is what your 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 base and your pay." But you know, there's in pastoral ministry. There's more to it than that. You're going to work more than forty hours. And I can tell you, we do <laughs> quite a bit more than forty hours. But it's a blessing. We're happy to serve, and when you love working and doing things with excellence. You don't mind putting in the extra time. And all of that training comes when you're at home, early in your early years. And parents, this is how you honor your parents. This is how you train your parents or your children to honor you as they get older. As I was sharing with a group of young men not long ago, we were looking at some Bible verses and what's happening in the end times. And 2 Timothy tells us that the, there will be a lot of uh, rebellion in our day. Jesus would even tell us that the love of many will wax cold. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 here. I'm gonna, before I read it, I want to I want to ask you to just think about how many of these have applied to you when you're young or you see in your children today or maybe how many of them are still with you at the age you're at. Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Excuse me. Think about that. Do we see that in our young people today? Do you remember any of that applying to you when you were young? I'm looking at that. I know I was stubborn. I was a very unthankful child, you know. I was was an accuser of my parents. If you would have done this and you would have done that, you know. No, I was not a very good child. My mother and father did their best to raise me and discipline me and do that which is right. You know, this is what Satan's seeking to do. He's been doing this since the time of... Of Adam and Eve in the fall to train youth to rebel at home because as he teaches them that then they will rebel against all authority including God I can assure you when I look at a Christian family I can almost tell you just by how they act at church if those children honor their father and mothers at home. You see, when I look at how the youth behave at the church, if they're reverent, if they're orderly, if they're here for the Sabbath school and, and, and they're really wanting to learn, I look at their interaction. Are they they're wanting to be involved in mission work? Do they want to do things? Are they, hand, are they hands-on? I look at what they're doing at the school. Are they excited about what they're doing? I can almost tell if they honor their father and mother by their conduct there because they respect God's house. They reverence the Lord. And if they're doing that here, then I know they're honoring their parents at home. But when I see that that's not happening, I know if it's not happening in the house of God, it's not happening at home. Because what happens at home is going to flow out in every part of the community, including the church. And I think every one of you listening today would agree with that. You know, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, God had a, a, a very clear way of dealing with Stubborn, rebellious children. And, and anybody, any of you youth listening today as I, I read through these verses, you'll find it in Deuteronomy 21. And I'm going to read these uh, verses starting with verse 18 to 21. Deuteronomy 21, how God called for the parents to deal with children that just just were just unruly and were uncontrollable. And I can tell you today if this was put in into in place whoa, it'd, be, it'd bring some uh, true obedience to the youth after they saw something like this. Today we would call it extreme child abuse. But God was calling it dealing faithfully with a very stubborn, rebellious child that would no longer listen and honor their father and mother. God was very serious about this commandment as he is with each and every one of them. Truly, the wages of sin is death, friends. Starting with Deuteronomy 21, starting with verse 18. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then the father and his mother shall take a hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city and at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall do what? Stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all of Israel shall hear and fear. Now, when you read the story of Achan, it is clear that somewhere along the line, his parents did not discipline him properly. And he went unchecked to the point that when given the command by God with all of the nation not to covet nothing in the fall of Jericho, that he would go and he'd find something. And not only that, But he was never disciplined to the point of owning up to what he did was wrong. Now parents, I want to encourage you here because this is is extremely important. If we do not sit our children down and get them to the point where they understand what they did wrong was truly wrong, and bring them to the point of accepting responsibility for what they've done, They will be as Achan, and they will never come true with themselves. Although everybody else will come to know, they themselves will not own up to it until the judgment. And whoa, how late it would be for that to happen. So, from one generation to another, if we lack the call of God to raise our children properly, what we do is we pass on to them a generational curse that they will just raise their children the same way. And it will go from one generation to another. Recently, I was, uh, just not too long ago, I was studying with a group of young men. And as we went through these verses, and I was talking about respecting your father and your mother. They asked me the question, how do you do that when your parents have been abusive? It's a good question. I mean, let's face it. Are parents perfect? Were your parents perfect? No. And yes, sometimes it's, it's heartbreaking that youth are brought up in, in abusive, neglectful, dysfunctional families. But yet, God is saying, honor your father and mother. And they were saying, How do I do that? My father's never been around for me. I was neglected as a child. I mean, I was abandoned. My mother wasn't there. She should have been there. My dad, I've never known. How was I supposed to, and how was I supposed to explain to these young brothers and sisters that I was in this Bible study with how to respect and honor a parent that's been abusive? Well, I told them you can do it in this way. You can be kind in the way you talk to them because God's been kind to you. You can be compassionate because of their broken situation because God's been compassionate to you. You see we've all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one of us have not wounded God. When you read Isaiah 53, he was bruised for our iniquities for our transgressions, for our sins. And when we were an enemy to God, God was in Christ reconciling you and I to himself. We're no better than our parents. We're sinners too. So we can be praying for them, be tenderhearted, forgive them. Oh, Dennis, (laughs) there's no way I could possibly forgive my parent. They have scarred me for life. Maybe they have scarred you for life. But you can either allow those, those scars to be open, festering wounds, or you can go to Jesus and say, Lord, give me the grace to forgive my parents. Give me the grace to go forgive my parents. And God will do it. Honoring our father and mother, living a life for Christ, will truly be a witness to them. And it may be the very thing that you do as a child that converts them. So I'm so thankful for our school and our staff and our teachers over there because they do teach our children the importance of praying for their parents, for being kind, being generous, being tenderhearted, forgiving them because we all come short, friends. When I eventually got out of prison, For years, I struggled with loving my mother because of the neglect and abuse as a child growing up. And I would find myself going to God over and over again and saying, Lord, I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. And so if you're asking me to honor my mother in this commandment, then you're going to have to do something special in my heart so that I can do that. And God began to change me in how I looked at my mother. And I began to see as a child, my mother was only doing the best she could. She could give me no more than what was given to her because she knew nothing else. And when that became clear in my mind, when God opened that up to my mind, I was like, wow, Lord, you're right. So the privilege and honor I have in knowing Christ is even tenfold because now I can take this and share it with my mother, and that I did. And then I would go back and I would talk to my stepdad and I would share with him, realizing the neglect and abuse that took place there. But I was forgiving. God put it in my heart to forgive and just let it go and say, you know what? What's been their opportunity? I don't know their personal stories. I don't know the secrets in their lives, what's happened, how the enemy has molested and overcome them and bound them and chained them. I just know the outside, what's happened and what's happened, how it has affected me. But as a child, I would, I would realize that as growing up, something had to change in the way I looked at my parents if I was ever going to be able to honor this commandment. I told these young people I was talking to, Let's kneel down and pray and ask God for the grace to forgive them and let it go. You know, Jesus would tell us in John 15, 13, as Christians, as Christians, he would say, there is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. God is calling us to die to self that Christ can be seen. And so there may be some adults out there today because I, as I said at the beginning, when I, when I was studying this out, I'm thinking, I'm not just going to be talking to youth. I'm talking to everybody that's a child, everybody that has parents. And so, yes, there's a lot of healing that may take place, need to take place. But Jesus gives us the invitation in Matthew 9, nine to follow him and do as he has done. In honoring his father, he's calling us to honor our parents and he gives us a beautiful promise in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He says, look, I understand you've been scarred. I understand it's very difficult for you to even be kind to them. But I'm asking you to treat them with respect. I'm asking you to, be, to, to go and help them, even you don't want to help them. I'm asking you to be for them even though they weren't there for you. I'm asking you to nurture your parents and honor them even if they haven't done that for you. And I promise you, if you'll step out in faith, my grace will be sufficient for thee. My strength will be made made perfect in your weakness. And when God revealed this promise to me, I could go to him and I could say, Lord, You know my struggle, but I praise you because you promised that as I recognize this struggle and this weakness I have, my inability to love my parents and honor them, you said your grace would be sufficient and your power would rest upon me that I could do it. And he did it. And I was able to witness to my father and watch him give his life to Christ before he died from cancer. I was able to witness to my mother. And watch as she took her last breath, knowing that she opened her heart to Christ because I was willing to not let the scars lay open, but to let God heal and work in me to honor my father and my mother. I praise the Lord for what he has done. He's given us a beautiful promise here in Psalms 34, 12 through 14. Are you seeking the promises of God? Are you a promise seeker, my young brothers and sisters, children, all of you that have parents? Are you a promise seeker? Long life. This is what he says. What man is he that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? How many of you want life? You desire life many days and you want to see good. This is the key. Keep your tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it is the promise to us today. Yes, friend, God says in 1 Samuel 2.30, I will honor those who honor me. God is a God of promise. Respect for parental authority, human and divine, makes for eternal life. And so I have a challenge for you. I don't know when the last time it was when you called your parents and you thanked them for the effort they made in bringing you up. I don't know when it was the last time you called your parents and you said, you know what, I love you and I appreciate you. Young people and even those listening to me, adults, I want to give you an assignment. I want you to go home and ask God to show you where you've dishonored your parents at any age, at any point in your life, where you've dishonored God. And then I'm going to ask you, as God would ask you, to reconcile that relationship as much as possible. I realize there may be some very broken things out there that are not possible to reconcile. But where they are, you can do it. So I'm asking you to get on your knees tonight this afternoon, pray, and ask the Lord, Lord, show me where I've dishonored my parents. And then go to your parents. If they live nearby, don't call them. Drive to their house. You may even consider, even if they live far away, take a trip to see them. Sit down and talk with them. Affirm them. And all the things you know they did what was right. And then ask him to forgive you for the things you know you did wrong. Because you know what? Your parents aren't always going to be with you. And if you happen to be there when they're passing and you did not make things right, you will truly regret it. So let God restore honor in your life dignity and nobility day by day. Do what you need to do at home. Do it right. Strive with excellence. Parents, train your children up in the way they are to go. God says they will not depart from you. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Father. I thank you for my parents. And I pray that everybody listening to me will raise their voice and praise you as well for their parents. As dysfunctional things may have been at home, as broken, as, 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 as much neglect that may have taken place, or hurt and pain and suffering, Lord, they were the vessels you chose to bring us in the world through. And so, Father, may your grace be sufficient for each and every one of us to honor our parents, to love them, cherish them, care for them, minister to them, and do what's right, because it is right. Bless us now, Lord, as we continue. Bless us as we seek your face to know more about your character and how we can be restored in your likeness. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse